If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974, I'm Miss Barbecue. I'm Vosh Bodie. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight, what better way to celebrate Labor Day than to talk about the world's oldest profession? Hookers. Hustlers. Gigolos. Whores. Rent boys. Colleagues. Neighbors. Friends. So apparently reading and shutting down a popular male escort advertising site ranks among the priorities of the Department of Homeland Security in its fight for a safer, more secure America, which is resilient against terrorism and potential threats. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what happened at the offices of RentBoy.com in New York City on August 25th. Since when are consensual sexual relationships a threat to national security? Well, tonight I'll talk to a trio of men I met at the Labor Day weekend rally for Rent Boy in WeHo. In The Preacher and the Pro, I talk with former escort Mike Jones about a former famous client and the national scandal that ensued. And Rent Boy Chief Operating Officer Hawk Kincaid talks about sex worker exit strategies. All of that are dazzling personalities. But first, the <laughs> oh, national... hooker, please. Hooker. <laughs> but first, the national and international news from this way out. I'm Michelle Marie Gilkison. And I'm Wenzel Jones. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending September 5th, 2015. Homophobic thugs attacked two more Ukrainian LGBT venues this week. According to Gay Alliance Ukraine, six masked neo-Nazis stormed into the offices of queer home Kriv Bas in the city of Kriviri on August 30th, throwing smoke bombs and flares into the building and trapping seven staff members inside. They beat one man who tried to stop the attack so mercilessly that he needed immediate hospitalization with what some sources were calling severe, life-threatening injuries. The other staff members were treated for smoke inhalation. There was a similar assault the previous day on a cafe in the same city, where LGBT activists were hosting a small party. Some 20 masked attackers wearing right-wing regalia forced their way into the cafe and beat up several attendees. Two weeks ago, masked thugs hurled smoke bombs into a venue in Odessa where LGBT activists were discussing the last-minute ban of a pride march. And six police officers were hurt when extremists tried to stop an LGBT pride parade in Kiev in June. No one has been arrested in any of the recent attacks on LGBT people. Activists claim that police generally refuse to detain suspects who haven't already fled by the time officers arrive at the scene of the crime. One of the main functions of the state is to protect its citizens, said a media statement from Gay Alliance Ukraine. 
which demanded that government officials do everything in their power to protect the lives, health, and basic rights of the citizens of Ukraine. There's a surge of neo-Nazi and other extremist groups spreading across Ukraine as the government focuses on the Russian incursion to the east. Escalating right-wing violence poses an increasing risk not only to the country's LGBT community, but to the larger society. According to Gay Times UK, three policemen were killed this week in violent clashes between security forces and ultra-nationalist protesters. Nine gay men were arrested this week in the Burmese city of Mandalay, even though they hadn't committed any crime. According to a report in Gay Star News, Mint Q, the regional minister of border and security affairs, announced a crackdown on LGBT people and an increased police presence at the city's moat, which the news outlet describes as an oasis for the LGBTI community. Q reportedly said that the nine men were detained after an informant claimed that they were acting inappropriately. He said the men were educated and then released on bond when it was determined that they hadn't broken any law. Graham Reed of Human Rights Watch condemned the detentions in a media release, saying that the Burmese federal government's failure to step in could open the door to more abuse of the sort described by this minister. This is not the first time LGBT people have been under attack in Burma, also known as Myanmar. Plainclothes police officers arrested 10 gay men and transgender women in July 2013 and, according to activists, abused them in detention. Private consensual adult gay sex remains illegal in the Southeast Asian country under a colonial-era British Crimes Against Nature law. Offenders can be punished with up to life in prison. But the biggest news in the U.S. this week was the continuing drama over marriage licenses in Rowan County, Kentucky. After being turned down by the Supreme Court for an extension of a lower appeals court order, County Clerk Kim Davis went to jail on September 3rd rather than allow her signature to be on the marriage certificates of lesbian or gay couples. A self-described born-again Christian, Davis claims that it's her right under the U.S. Constitution to not be forced to act against her religious beliefs. But U.S. District Judge David Bunning ruled that as an elected public official bound to serve every citizen, Davis was violating her oath of office by refusing to issue marriage licenses to same-gender couples. She claims to be obeying God's authority, but critics mock David's piety, noting that she's on her fourth marriage. Hundreds of equality advocates chanted, Love one, love one, as word reached dueling but peaceful crowds outside the courthouse. The judge also ordered all five of Davis's deputies, including her son, Nathan, to issue licenses to all applicants while their boss is held in contempt or also face jail if they refuse to comply. A lawyer for Davis, whose defense is funded by the Liberty Council, a right-wing religious rights group, argued that the deputy clerks cannot issue licenses against Davis's authority, but the judge disagreed. And by Friday, September 4th, the first same-gender couples were getting marriage licenses in Rowan County, Kentucky. Davis's son, Nathan, however, was the not-unexpected holdout. That's News Wrap for the week ending September 5th, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Michelle Maria Gilkison. And I'm Wenzel Jones. You can hear all 30 minutes of This Way Out on free podcast at thiswayout.org or on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on iTunes. It has been nearly 10 years since my friend Mike retired from escorting. His exit was a little more public than strategies that Hawk and Cable described later in the program, and I call this interview, this piece, this report, The Preacher and the Pro.
name is Mike Jones, and I grew up in a small suburb of Denver, Colorado, called Edgewater. My father was a police officer. I was the middle child, very, very close to my mother. Pretty much of a normal childhood in a sense. However, I was violently beaten by my older brother growing up. It was living with a violent bully in the house. As a result of that, I ended up getting involved with bodybuilding to protect myself, basically. When I turned 18, I got a fake ID, and I decided I wanted to go check out gay bars because I knew at a very early age I certainly was attracted to men. And as it turns out, my bodybuilding paid off to the fact that the very first time I went to a gay bar, I was offered money for sex. And I thought, wow, I would have given it away free, but they wanted to pay me. So subsequently, as I continued going to bars, men were offering me money for sex. And that's kind of how I got started in the escorting business. Once there was a preacher by the name of Ted Haggard Who stumbled from the path, or you might even say staggered He was one in a million, or more aptly, one in ten Some folks say he put the men in awe I received a phone call in 2003 from a man named Art from Kansas City. That's how the man I later discovered to be Ted Haggard, the founder of New Life Church and president of the 30 million member National Association of Evangelicals first introduced himself. He wanted to hire me for escorting. That was fine. He looked like every other client that I had. Kind of typical because 80% of my clientele were married men and he was married. It was pretty mild. It was just getting together, and it was pretty tame. Then after that first year, Art inquired about methamphetamines, and I told him personally I didn't care for it, but I knew someone that did it, and I hooked him up with someone that he obtained it from. So after the first year, every time he would visit me, he would bring some meth with him, and he started bringing sex toys with him. After two and a half years of seeing Art, when I just accidentally happened to be watching the History Channel, I shouldn't say I was watching it accidentally. I wanted to see the show on the Antichrist. It just turns out that Art, Ted, was an expert. And that's when I saw his face, and I go, oh, my God, that's Art. And I'm not knowing exactly who he was. It just so happens the very, very next morning at 5 a.m. at the gym, lo and behold, on one of the TVs in the gym, there's Art again. And so I saw his name, and I wrote it down and did some research on it, and that's when I found out who Art was, and it was Ted Haggard. And he was big in the evangelical movement. He preached the gospel message of intolerance and self-loathing. And traveled on his wayward way, betraying his betrothing. He was the soul of piety, and no one doubted him, until he hired a gigolo and used a pseudonym. And it's not that I hadn't heard the Ted Haggard name before, but he was more kind of behind the scenes. We always heard of James Dobson with Focus on the Family. So most of our energy was geared towards him of our, of our anger. But we had Amendment 2 many years ago, and Amendment 2 went to the Supreme Court because it was basically to bar all protection for gay and lesbians. And thank God the Supreme Court struck it down in Colorado. So Colorado's had a history of this type of political sway, so to speak, with the evangelical movement in Colorado Springs. He telephoned the White House for a weekly consultation, saying, here's what Jesus thinks of all the pending legislation. Marriage is a covenant between a man and wife, and homosexuals will thrive forever in the afterlife. The more research I did on Ted Haggard, the angrier I got when he was making comments like, you won't see the kingdom of God if you're gay, comparing gay pride parade to a murderer's pride parade. The more I read, the more angry I got. 
And he was also leading the charge against gay marriage in Colorado. So here's a man who's telling people they cannot get married and he can't even abide by his own marriage vows. That made me mad. That was pure hypocrisy, and I needed to bring that out. And he was preaching to over 30 million people, Ted Haggard was. But you can't have someone saying one thing and doing the opposite. That is just plain wrong. So if you're a gay teenager, probably Jesus doesn't love you. Because he knows Ted Haggard doesn't think a whole lot of you. So don't embrace the way God made you. Here's what you should do. Choose to be a hetero and seven foot two. People have to remember exposing Ted Haggard, I also exposed myself. I had the police knocking on my door, so I risked being arrested. I lost all my massage clients I had. I lost all my personal training clients. I got fired from the art schools where I modeled, so I basically had no more way of making an income. And not only that level, but my family. My father is still alive, and he doesn't understand it. But can you imagine seeing your son on the national news being called a prostitute? That was hard. My brothers have not talked to me since. I got death threats. I had people beating on my door. It was a very frightening period for me. But I was amazed that he did what he did. He handled it so poorly, and he tried to speak for himself, and he got caught lying. So he humbly went to counseling, and then three weeks later, he's born again, again. After three weeks, and it's so sad they use the word cured because it's not an illness or a disease. It's who he is. And Ted Haggard will never, ever be happy until he can be honest with himself. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Glory how he blew ya. People hear the word prostitute, and that's something they can relate to, but it has a really derogatory meaning to it. Because it wasn't always about sex with me. I had men that were literally dying in my arms, crying. It was very sad. I was more of a therapist than anything. So I want people to understand what I was doing, and I want people to see what I went through to reach my decision to out Ted Haggard. It was not a pleasant, easy episode for me. I was physically sick from it. But most of all, what I want people to get from this is the Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church, they want to sweep these issues under the rug so very quickly and pretend like they never happened. They don't want to talk about it. That's the problem. It needs to be talked about. Let's discuss it. Because if we're always going to have people like Pat Robertson and the likes creating this hate, we're never going to come together as a country. Because when someone like them tells me as a gay man I'm going to hell, what am I supposed to do? Sit by and say thank you? Because Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Ted Haggard is completely heterosexual. Glory how he blew. I mean, glory holy blue. I mean, glory, hallelujah. Ted Haggard is back again. He is a big church once more, and people follow him, and he is completely now heterosexual. Uh-huh. Well, good for him. Well, mm. we've learned that this is something that's easy to do. I mean, so many people have gone back to homosexuality after they've been caught with hookers. Well, <laughs> it's, which, a, it's an epidemic. Well, it shows the work that they do, that sex workers do. Well, that's, uh, the, that's the thing to, to talk about homosexuals, but then to go to hookers on top of that. That's my, that's my whole thing, too. Is that, it's like you can say you're against homosexuality, but when you're doing the do, and then you're going to try to uh, no. It's almost always the people that are talking so loudly about Screaming it. Screaming the loudest are the one who's doing the dirty stuff. With well, the sex toys and the meth and the men. Yeah. 
it's 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 just so hypocritical. Well, you know, everyone's got to do what everyone's got to do. We're all, <laughs> you know, and that's well, that's the important thing that people who are in the sex trade, sex workers, you know, bring to the table. I I love that that Mike did say that he doesn't like being called a prostitute because I've learned this weekend that that's really a derogatory term. They consider themselves to be sex workers. Right, right. And they want rights. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, last week our Sex Sells series debuted with my sit-down interview with Hawk Kincaid, Chief Operations Officer of the now shuttered Rent Boy website. Here's a little bit more of that conversation. My name is Hawk Kincaid. I am a former sex worker. I'm a current sex industry professional as COO of RedBoy.com, and I'm president and founder of Hook Online, which is the nation's only nonprofit volunteer grassroots program for men in the sex industry, and that's been running since 1997. Hawk, let's talk about life after escorting. These days, with Google Image Search and other programs, it's not that hard to ID someone in a photo from an escort site. And also, how do they account for those gaps in the resume? They're both really big hazards about the industry. So one of them in terms of image recognition, I think is, is absolutely critical. At heart of both of these issues, at heart of the idea of image recognition, at the heart of employment discrimination for people who work within the industry, at the heart of both of them is a stigma that still lies around the industry that somehow venerates an individual who may work for a bank or a Coke Industries that decimates the climate, that destroys low-income people's chances at financial prosperity, all of these things that we would consider absolutely unethical and immoral behavior. And yet people who work within the industry, who do no harm to anyone else, who are making choices as adults to work within the industry, that they somehow get penalized for making those choices to me is it's just a poor reflection on us as a people that we somehow want to raise someone who works for, like I said, a Coke Industries or, or a Citibank or whatever the case is. I think that's unfortunate. So that being said, we take those risks very seriously. I mean, I think the idea that Google will somehow associate someone's image when they create an alternate name and an alternate persona, we want to make sure that that alternate persona is protected. Because like I said, there are a number of people who will do this only for a short period of time, either out of immediate financial need or some other goal that they wish to achieve. We want them to be able to enter and exit the industry, and this is my philosophy and why I've always done the activism I do within the sex industry for men in the sex industry, is that you should be able to enter and exit this industry with your skin intact. And that is not just your physical skin. It's not just making sure that we are doing the kind of disease prevention that we certainly is a big part of what we do, but it's also about the mental well-being, it's about the practical well-being for the people who choose to work in the industry, that when they enter and exit the industry, that they're not going to be having very dangerous situations put in front of them for having made that choice one year, two year, five years down the road. I've certainly had to confront it as an activist, that my association with being an advocate for men in the sex industry and having been a former sex worker, these things have confronted me multiple times. In some cases in very personal ways, whether it's in romantic situations where people are very caught off guard, even though I haven't worked in the industry as a worker for 10 years, more than 10 years, <laughs> long time, that 
it's still a personal barrier for many people that they find it intimidating to even be out. Even though many people have worked in the industry, they just don't say it. That I'm comfortable saying it makes them uncomfortable. And then in employment situations, it has been on more than one occasion because I'm unabashed about my support for the kind of rights and access to health and legal resources that male sex workers as well as female trans and all individuals who choose the sex industry should be able to get access to in the fight for decriminalization. All of these things have made me vulnerable in cases of human resources researches and in some cases uh, action that's been taken because even though it has nothing to do with my role and my experience and my expertise as a user experience strategist and, and all of the work that I do there, it still put me in a number of vulnerable situations that I didn't ask for nor deserve. While a gay HR manager may personally love male sex workers, whether it's porn on his laptop or thrusting crumpled singles at the boy dancing on the bar, he's often less likely than his straight peer to hire them. There is a double standard, certainly. And the gay community is such an interesting one. So when I talk about this at conferences and among social service providers and, and all of that, there's always a little bit of education that goes on around the difference. Because people oftentimes, they, they don't understand that men in the sex industry are not the subject of conversation in the way that women and trans workers are. Some of that has to do with a number of factors. You know, it has to do with perceived community need, which I think is very viable in the sense that men do not work the streets and they're not oftentimes in the same environments as many women and trans workers as often. There are still male street workers. There are not very many, but they still do exist. And they're often there for reasons that require a number of service providers to be at full attention. So whether it's uh, homelessness issues around LGBT issues, it's drug use, immigration factors, there's a number of reasons that there are different men who work in the street. But it's not nearly the, the quantity. And again, it, it's also not nearly the focus, whether it's police attention or community service attention. But what happens after? What happens when that person decides to leave the industry? What employment opportunities are available for them if they decide they want to transition? Again, by choice. I'm not of the ilk that thinks that uh, people shouldn't be in the industry. There are certain people who should be. I mean, they're great at it. They're wonderful at it. But if you choose not to be in the industry, then you should have those opportunities available to exercise those career goals and those career skills. But we create such a fame environment around some of the people in the industry that they themselves can get distracted. And so one of the messages we have as a program, one of the messages we even talk about at Rentboy is making sure that the people who choose this as a career, we support them. They're entrepreneurs. We want them to do well. And as people are leaving the industry, we want to do it in the most respectful and constructive way possible. I've seen a number of people come in the industry, and I've seen a number of people leave the industry. Most of them leave in good ways. They leave in healthy ways. They transition out. That's one of the reasons they have alternate names, is to make sure that they can move into the private sector, if you will. I don't know, public sector, private sector. To move into the corporate sector or a business sector or whatever it is in a way that allows them to not have to deal with the stigma associated with being a former industry worker. But... Not everyone is that successful. Not everyone manages that transition very easily. Even myself, like I said, as, as somebody who's outspoken and comfortable talking about it, even in industries that have had nothing to do with the sex industry or my sex industry background, any of that, the ramifications have been dire, oftentimes um, serious. And there are no protections for that. And one of these situations came from what was one of the most celebrated GLBT companies in, in the United States. So there are very real ramifications for people, and it's amazing that the GLBT population, as it normalizes, as it becomes much more popular and has much more economic power that it can employ, it's amazing to me that they forget 
that whether it was Compton's cafeteria riots or it was Stonewall, was built on the backs of not only trans workers, which I think oftentimes gets fallen to the wayside, but also that most of the people involved there were also within the sex industry. That all of the people who they look to as the beginning of those rights, as the beginning of their movement that they benefit from on a daily basis, that those people were working in the sex industry. And that's unfortunate to me. I think that part of whitewashing the history is a very dangerous one because there were many, many people who work within this industry. I mean, thousands and thousands and millions. This has been just part of my conversation with Rent Boy's chief operating officer and the founder of Hook Online, Sean Lucas, also known in the industry as Hawk Kincaid. More to come. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Ten cents a dance That's what they pay me Gosh, how they weigh me down Ten cents a dance Pansies and rough guys Tough guys who tear my gown Seven to midnight I hear drums well, you know, that interview was conducted in the New York offices of RentBoy.com, obviously before the raid. Yes. Since then, acting New York U.S. Attorney Kelly Curry has called those offices an internet brothel. Really, girl? It's just, just another brothel. way of saying it's a den <laughs> of immoral whores. Oh, my god. Oh, goodness. my. I was there almost a day. We even sent out for lunch. When they said, do you want dessert? I should have said, of course, I'm in a brothel. <laughs> but no, they were just professional, nice people. Well, it boils down to what we're allowed to do with our own bodies. I was talking to Vash about this before the show, and I forget that. It's not someone being exploited. It's not someone being forced into this. It's someone who has a right mind, a right morality of what they want to do with their own bodies, and they should have every right to do so. Exactly, which is why this weekend there was that Labor Day rally for Rent Boy, which really actually turned into being a sex worker's human rights rally. That's really what it was all about. That's and, amazing. Yeah. And so we were there, right? I was there. So coming up, I'll be talking to Anthony DiNicola, Matthew Rose, and Danny Cruz about the rally for Rent Boy this past weekend in an attempt to decriminalize sex work. Don't go away, guys. We'll be right back. Cesar Chavez, Latino champion of civil rights, coming up now on A Rainbow Minute. Cesar Chavez was born in Arizona in 1927. At the age of 10, he became a migrant farm worker. He faced racial discrimination early in life. In 1946, he married a woman who shared his concerns about social justice. Driven to fight for fairness and human dignity of farm workers, Chavez founded a union called the United Farm Workers. His rally cry, Si Se Puede, or It Can Be Done, helped mobilize nonviolent boycotts, strikes, marches, and fasts. In 1973, 17 million Americans joined in the Table Grape Boycott, forcing law that provided better working conditions. Chavez championed equal rights for all, including gays. At the 1987 March on Washington, he said, quote, Our movement has been supporting lesbian and gay rights for over 20 years. We supported lesbian and gay rights when it was just 10 people. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Bill Lupoletti. Hello, I'm Hawk Kincaid, former sex worker, current sex industry professional at rentboy.com, and founder and president of hookonline.com. And you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. 
He wants to impress you that he is different, not like those catalogue parading thin brown boys with poofy haircuts and numbers sticking to their butts, trying to look happy, sexy for fat old fairies with fat wallets of American dollars. No, he is different. He says in a postcard with a picture of a river in front. He's looking sexier each day. Please hurry, buy me a pair of Levi's, then we can go travelling together. He's not one of those boys you meet in the bar who will go with you for two nights straight, then tell you that his brothers are starving because his mother, sister, and aunt are ill with some infectious disease. Please, just twenty American dollars is okay to help. He's not one of those ten dollars a pop boys either. No, he's not for rent. He only wants to make you happy, make you smile like everyone else here does. One big smile fest. Smile at every damn thing because everybody gets what they want if they know how here. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. I'm Vosh Bodhi. And I'm Ms. Barbecue. And the time is now 7.30. The poem coming out of break was Bangkok from San Francisco's Justin Chen. Yes. So... Today is our very special Labor Day show. Yes, and right. Labor of love. Yes, yes honey. Indeed. She works hard for the money kind of show, honey. <laughs> and we are talking about a particular job choice that some people have chosen to go into, some mm-hmm. for various reasons. And it's sex Tuition work. must be paid. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's right. sex work. You do what you got to do, hon. Yes, indeed. I've heard. I totally know. No, I know a lot of sex workers yeah. who are my friends. A friend of a friend. And they, they make it happen mm. big time. Yes, they do. You know, and it's an idea for the next fun drive, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I have every right to do whatever I want with my body. So, if I want to do that, then I should have every right to. Well, we often say that, but that is not often the case. Which is why this rally this past weekend over Labor Day for Rent Boy was so important. Because when you really think about sex workers' rights, they really are human rights. Yes. The ability to control our own bodies. So I talked to three people this weekend at the event, and the first one was an ally. My name is Anthony DiNicola. And why did you come out here today, Anthony? I came out here to support sex workers and their rights, to distribute information, help educate people, help draw attention to the needs of sex workers. The recent raid on Rent Boy which is a website that a lot of people have used to advertise and to do their work. How did you come about being an ally to sex workers? I was with a former sex worker, and we talked a lot about his experiences in sex work, and I did my own education. I started reading a lot more about how this issue affects, especially the queer community, which I have a strong tie to, and I wanted to do whatever I could to help out. An important thing for allies to do is always to amplify and agree and support what actual like activists and people who are doing sex work or who have closer ties to sex work industries, what they say needs to be done. So I think an ally's role is to affirm what needs to be done, help educate other people who may not be involved at all or know anything about sex work, like a lot of my family or friends who have no connection at all and would just be, oh, that's illegal, that's wrong, I don't want to get involved, I don't want to know about that, they should be punished or whatever. It's the ally's role to be able to educate them and to help bring them into an allyship position. So that was Anthony DiNicola, who I met, and I thought it was really important to talk to him and to share him with you because 
every movement needed to allies. Well, I was just, I was just, I was just thinking about what he was saying. I was thinking about the the sixty degrees of Kevin Bacon. Everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who is a sex worker or is involved in that. At least in my world, in the in the community that I'm in, everybody knows at least somebody who knows somebody who's in it. And so I think in that aspect, that makes a lot of us allies, and we probably don't even know it. Well. Not everybody is an ally because some people do have issues with the notion that someone might be in sex work, even though... Even though they tipping them at the Mickeys. Or that they're, you know, they're hanging out with them and just don't know. One of the funny things about living in, in Los Angeles is that the journey to find out who you know who is a sex worker is always funny. Well, I will tell you, <laughs> during research for my interview with Hawk, I went online at wimboy.com, and I was so surprised to find some pictures of people I recognized that were musicians or other things like... Oh, this is what they do also. Yeah, yeah they can play guitar naked. Yeah. Yes. And, and once you, again, once we take away the sex. It's work. It is work. And uh, people are being prevented from doing their work because of this raid. So what we're going to do is we're going to hear now from Danny Cruz, who was actually the organizer of the rally this past Saturday. Hi, my name is Danny Cruz. I am a current sex worker and also the interim director for the Sex Workers Outreach Project Los Angeles. How was the rally? You put together a rally. How was it? How did it feel? The rally was amazing. We had a really great response. The rally was a simultaneous action with two other cities. New York had their rally at the steps of the federal courthouse in Brooklyn on Thursday. San Francisco, Chicago, and Los Angeles had our rallies on Saturday, September the 5th all around the same time. So we had three cities marching for action at the same time, same day. Locally here in LA, it went really well. We had about 25 people show up. Everybody brought their signs and their voices. We screamed down Santa Monica Boulevard, turned some heads of the people enjoying brunch on the patios, handed out some leaflets and some information about sex worker rights and about our march for freedom, and hopefully started a few conversations. I heard passing by some of those tables oh, yeah, I have a friend that advertised on Rent Boy. And it started those brunch time conversations, which is actually my goal of walking down the neighborhood in West Hollywood, was starting conversations and then just leaving that mark. Fantastic. What were some of the things on the signs? The main signs that I loved, um, we had one that's been a big rally cry that goes, no bad whores, just bad laws. And people heard us shout that for the 0.8 miles that we walked down Santa Monica Boulevard. And you can see some of the families with their little children going, did they just say whores and laws? And what, what are they talking about over there? Some people said honor labor because sex worker rights issues can be seen as a labor rights issue. One said sex work is work. Decriminalize the sex trade. I support rent boys. Decriminalize Johns, I saw one say. Everybody was in support of people in the sex trade. Not just rent boys, but locally for porn as well. Here in Los Angeles and Southern California, we've seen the AIDS Healthcare Foundation go after porn performer medical records. They're trying to introduce a ballot initiative, making it legal for just a viewer of porn to sue a production company for making a condomless scene. And so we saw all these people come out in support of the larger sex trade, whether it be porn, sex work, dancers, cam girls, whatever. We saw a lot of support. And Danny, what is your connection to Rent Boy? I was an advertiser on the site for seven years. How did you come about being 
an advertiser? Well, I did it off and on when I lived in Texas as a way to pay bills at the end of the month if I knew I was going to be short. And then when I moved to New York City, I didn't have really stable employment or a place to stay. So I put my last bit of money into advertising as a way to not be homeless or hungry. How does the relationship between you as an advertiser and Renpo, how did that relationship work? You paid your money to the listing site for the ad space. They would look at your ad and screen it, make sure that you weren't putting yourself in any danger of violating any laws by the language in your ad. Within the last few years, there were like internet laws saying what you could and could not post like um, actual sex acts. They screened that to make sure that we stayed legal in our ads. And then at the end of the month, that was it. You just kind of renewed or chose not to renew or whatever. There's very little other communication. They didn't take a cut of any of my earnings or anything like that. It was just an ad listing site. So truly just an ad listing site. No connection between you and the people that they facilitated you meeting. Right. The people that I met came to the site because of its great reputation. It had 18 years of brand recognition behind it. So it was pretty reputable and people knew what they were getting when they came to the site. With Rent Boy, you know, we it wasn't about losing the listing site. It was about losing that harm reduction community. It was losing the site that was the only gay male escort site to have a scholarship fund introduced. The only gay male escort site to have harm reduction classes for their members and offer incentives to come to those classes. When they held the talks on PrEP and Truvada and how to keep yourself safe, they offered free advertising in exchange for coming to those meetings. They wanted people to hear that harm reduction message. Same thing as when they had talks on how to deal with online predators or knowing your rights or legal basics. Whenever they would have these clinics, they believed in the message so much that they offered incentives against their business to get people to come out and hear that message and take knowledge away. So it was less about losing the place of advertising. It was more about the institution of harm reduction that they had actually become. So then what's the condition of the Rent Boy population now that Rent Boy has been raided and shut down? Right now, Rent Boys are spooked. They're looking to see if they could be the target of a local police bus myself included. We're all going to new sites. Like I said, we're all being very careful about how we screen and the new people we've seen. In the couple of weeks after Rent Boy shut down, I was telling my friends, see regulars if you can, live on that. If you absolutely can't, be very careful in what you say and how you screen. Right now, behind the scenes in different forums, people are starting to get together and now say, how can we support each other now that Rent Boy is gone? How can we fill that hole of getting this information out to other rent boys, other sex workers. How can we keep each other safe? How can we now move this and use this as a catalyst for gaining more rights and recognition for the sex worker community as a whole and for rent boys themselves? Explain to me the sex trade. The sex trade is pretty broad. The, the yeah. sex trade is defined as anyone, at least in definitions that I hold true for myself. I know different people have other ways of defining the sex trade. But for myself, the sex trade is anyone who sells sex or the illusion of sex, which, you know, could be BDSM workers who are not full service, sex workers, dancers, phone sex operators, that kind of thing. Sexual services or the illusion of sex to anyone for money, food, drugs, shelter, or other resources. That sounds like marriage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
in the sex trade, it's not just money. You know, when I started in the sex trade when I was 19 and just moved out of the house, I traded the occasional thrill to an older gentleman for a place to live. I know people who trade it for food. Some street-based workers will trade it for a hotel room so that they don't have to sleep in the streets and they can get a shower. Some people need to support a drug habit, so they use it to trade for drugs. Everybody has something that they trade sex for, and to criminalize it and not address the root of these problems You know, if you want to talk about people who trade sex for drugs, addressing drug addiction. If you want to talk about people trading sex for money, addressing poverty, access to housing, access to jobs, that kind of thing. Everybody wants to criminalize the people using the sex trade, but not the root causes that enable the sex trade to continue. As a sex worker, you're often bumping up against that wall between human being and their true sexuality or sexual expression. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing? I am fortunate enough to be in a place in my life where I am very out and open with everybody about what I do. I don't hide it. I don't sugarcoat it. I know exactly what my life is and what I do, and I'm happy and secure in it. In the gay community with my friends, I've seen this weird double standard of praising people who have tons of sex on Grindr. And I jokingly say that they're running charities because I just happen to charge for it. And people that are having lots of sex for free are often patted on the back and applauded. When I do it, I'm seen as a criminal or somebody who's doing something bad. And what is the basic goal of your activism? To let people know that they're not alone. Solidarity is a weapon. What can people do who are listening to help raise awareness, to get involved, to help change laws? The biggest thing that people can do is to come to sex worker spaces with an open mind. Leave everything they think they know about the sex trade at the door and listen to the things that actual sex workers are saying that they need. Sex worker rights are basic human rights. So that was Danny Cruz. So good. Yeah. So good. He seemed like a really nice guy. He is a real person and, and just a really good guy. Well, I, it, was, it was funny how when I was talking, I realized I I was a sex worker. I worked as a phone sex operator for four for years. For the fun drive? No. <laughs> no, worked over in, Woodland, over in Woodland Hills. And uh, I just re- recognized that I was I was a sex worker. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's why Go figure. So- I'm like, what? You worked hard for the money. I worked hard. When you really think about what the sex trade is and what the sex industry is, it's amazing how many, like you were saying earlier, how many people we know who are involved, how we might actually have already been or may still be involved in the sex trade. And the double standard that involves in it. Like you said, you go on Grindr, you give it away for free. That's charity. I was like, what? So here's the issue, though, because there is an issue with the sex trade, and it's confusing uh, trafficking and kidnapping and coercion rather than people who are going into the sex trade voluntarily with their eyes wide open. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now, now we got one more, yes? Yes, we do. So also at the event uh, was board member Matthew Rose, who's going to talk to national board member. National board member of SWAP, which is Sex Workers Outreach Project, SWOP. Mm. He's a national board member of SWAP USA, and we got a chance to talk about more politics and, and things. So here's Matthew Rose. My name is Matthew. I actually sit on the board of Swap USA, Sex Workers Outreach Project. We are an organization working on sex workers' rights for almost 20 years now in the United States, trying our best to lead to decriminalization and safer practices for those who want to be in sex work and for those who want to leave sex work, finding avenues to help support them. What was the inspiration for doing this rally? 
it was really responding to the unfair raid on rentboy.com. A lot of us in the community have friends who've worked at Rentboy. A lot of people advertise on Rentboy. And we watched this site that has been functioning and the way that it has been going for over a decade now and has been doing some really amazing, innovative work in the community around harm reduction. They launched Hook Online that they fully supported in the last couple of years, which has been one of the only sites for men in the industry to get services. There was never a complaint against them. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the government raids them, but not just the government. Homeland Security was raised a lot of red flags and eyes and charging them under the Travel Act, which seemed just a very obscure way of going after this organization. And normally a lot of the rhetoric we hear around why sex work is bad wasn't really discussed with Rent Boy. So no discussions about trafficking, no discussions about underage folks being on Rent Boy, no discussions about people being exploited. And so it really started begging the question of why with so many other things going on in the world, especially that Homeland Security should be responding to, are we directing valuable resources to going after a victimless crime? Do you have any theories as to why Rent Boy was raided by Homeland Security? You know, I think that they were going for what they thought could be a win. And I think that this speaks to this larger discussion we've had about moralizing sex and taking back morality and sex. I mean, Rent Boy was very flagrant and more so than other sites have been about saying, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. Yes, they had a disclaimer clause, but some critics would say that they were kind of more open, but they've been operating that way for a decade. So it's not anything new. It seems like someone had an ax to grind and that they kind of, pursue this agenda. It goes with some of these other laws around policing sex that we've seen that really kind of hurt people's sex lives and really increase sexual epidemics. So you see syphilis rates have been going up, HIV rates have maintained the same in some areas and increasing in particular populations. And all of this is troubled by laws against sex and that criminalize sex and that make it harder for people to talk about sex. Have there been any raids on any heterosexual sites that perhaps are similar to Rent Boy? Yes. In the last few years, we've had raids on my Red Book out in San Francisco. Hundreds of sex workers lost their livelihood and nobody cared. And there aren't social services to support these folks that now don't have a way to pay for the rent, don't have a way to buy food on their table, don't have a way to pay for their life, medical expenses that they once had. We have the same thing with Rent Boy. These things are just taken away and there aren't any services to provide and support these folks. It's interesting that we see this challenge against Rent Boy on the heels of marriage equality passing. So we see this kind of big win and then at the same time attacking another section of the queer community. So this really is just coming after sex workers. I mean, it's coming after the queers. It's coming after people who consensually want to engage in things in their own bedroom. And after Lawrence v. Texas, we learned the government really has no prevailing reason to be legislating what's happening in our bedrooms as long as no one is getting hurt and everyone's agreeing to it. And yet here we are over and over again talking about why can't some people's livelihoods be threatened because of what other consenting adults choose to do and why there's a prevailing government interest in this when there's really no harm. What is a rent boy? Rent boy is a British term for escort, and that's kind of where the name of the site came from. Escort implies going to parties and dances. Who knows what else happens? And we say with every escort, you are paying for someone's time and what people choose to do with their time, that's up to them. But you are asking someone to just spend their time with you and here's the cost for spending that amount of time. And what two consenting people decide to do with that time is their business. And why do we need to monitor and regulate all of that? What are people doing now that Rent Boy is gone 
to maintain their current income level. You know, a lot of people are scrambling, trying to figure out what they should do to allow themselves to live, trying to find new jobs in different industries. Some are trying to advertise on other sites. Some are getting forced to go to street work, which is usually and generally more dangerous and has a lot more issues rolled around with it. And you don't have the same protection levels and the same screening processes that you have by doing it via the internet. It just makes it harder on the individual. But if you have to pay the bills, you have to pay the bills. It's also harder on the shoes. What are the next steps in this movement? It's really bringing awareness. There's been some actually really amazing pieces written in response to Rent Boy. Is the Rent Boy raid going to be the stonewall of the sex worker rights movement? Which I take a little bit issue, but I think it is a way for us to catapult and raise awareness about sex workers' rights and making people realize it is more than what you think it is. It's not what is always portrayed in the movies and what you see on TV. It's a much more complicated narrative. There's not the, always the exploitation that people think is out there. People do choose to go into this industry and have a great time. People love the fact that they get to watch porn in this country. You know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Those are technically sex workers. So people engage with the sex worker community a lot more than they think about, and they don't always think about the rights and the people behind those and the lives that they live as individuals. So it's really figuring about what's going on in your community, what things can you vote on, what initiatives can you be aware of that are hurting individuals that you can help to overturn and protect folks. You know, in California on the ballot, we're going to see this law about porn stars and people performing in porn getting fined for not using condoms in their sex lives, but also amateur sex can also be defined under this law the way it is now. So if you and your best friend are making a home movie and someone sees and complains, you could be fine. So there's a lot of implications about some of these laws and how they're affecting us. And so it's learning from folks, learning from groups about what it means and how to be supportive. And just learn that it's okay to have sex. And it's okay that some people want to pay to have the kind of sex that they want to have. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what? Not everything needs to be for me. But everyone should have the right to do the work they want to do. People should have the right to consensually engage in transactions that they want to engage in. And as long as people are not being harmed and it is consensual, let go and let God. I say don't hate me. Let's find you. Very true. What is the risk or danger of not standing up in alliance with sex workers now, considering that you're saying this is a human rights issue? There are sex workers in every community at every level. So everyone is involved and connected. And we know that the government and other folks try to target the small base first. So the low hanging fruit, the most marginalized, and then they start working their way up the chain. So really a discussion about what sex workers can do and regulation of sex starts hitting the rest of us once they're done with sex workers. What's to stop them from saying, you gave a blowjob. We don't think that's right. So here's a fine. We're going to regulate what things you can do as consenting adults. And we thought we had beaten that already, but we can see a slow erosion of it. And the only reason it's working is because we're targeting sex workers first. But eventually, some of those laws have much farther reaching implications than we give them credit for. Do you have any examples? I think that Monica Jones and the manifesting prostitution law, this is basically saying that is legal for people to typecast you. She got in a car, never asked for any money, and was arrested. So a good Samaritan gives you a ride up the street because you're out of gas. You think it's gas. They think you're working the corner because they can't see your car, and you just get arrested. That could affect anybody. That's saying that the way you look 
should decide how much legal protections you should have and how much the criminal justice system should target you. And that's really dangerous. So it's really thinking about how much engagement do you want to let people have into things that you've decided are okay for you. Very good point. What can people do now in their own communities to help with this movement, which is really a human movement? There's some great resources out there. SwapUSA.org, the Harm Reduction Coalition, both are amazing organizations. I obviously am biased towards SWAP because I'm on the board, but we have chapters in 20 states across the country and with people who are both in the industry and allies trying to help support sex workers, change laws, and we tell people about kind of what's going on. The Harm Reduction Coalition does the same, talks about what's going on, how do we change laws. Both Swap USA and Harm Reduction Coalition are nonprofit 501c3s. Any donations made to them are tax deductible. They're doing a really amazing work and really trying to change what the face of sex workers' rights looks like in terms of rights that we're willing to protect. You know, we always say at Swap, we want rights, not rescue. We want people who to be in the industry who choose to be in the industry by choice, not people who are coerced, forced, or circumstances make them be in there and they want to if then they're because of circumstance we want to help you find a way out if you don't want to be there but we think that everyone has a right to choose and self-determine how they want to work and have that work be recognized and protected by the government right i had no yes. idea how deep this movement was and is and the implications that it has for all of us rights not rescue yes this, I mean, this is Labor Day, and there was some work going on in the studio today. Yes, there was. <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> Absolutely. And, we, I, and I love that we've discovered, because we, he, one person talked about we don't even know who the sex workers are, and we discovered we had got them in this room. Yes, I didn't realize there was one until he started describing the different, different uh, occupations. I'm like, wait, I did that? Oh, my gosh. Yes. You know, and, and, and it is rights, not rescue. I chose to do the phone sex thing, and and, and, it, and I was very lucrative in it, and I became, I, I paid my bills with it, honey, big time. Well, I want to say something about the fact that you covered this, but so many other LGBT magazines and newspapers and blogs did not cover, there were only like two or three people that covered this. Well, I think that there's still that connection to it being about sex, and it really isn't about sex. Well, you know, part of it for me is that we're living right now in the era of the post-gay marriage. Yeah. It's a time when it's assumed that gay men really don't have sex with each other, even in their marital beds. And if they do, it's within the parameters of monogamy and never in front of their many, many adopted children. We're in a post-queer, post-radical fairy world. A lot of people are seeing that we can get married, but we don't have sex. We don't talk about sex. And if we do, it's something dirty and nasty and gross over in the corner. You know, kind of deal. No, no one thinks about it as a being H. You can have it as a transaction, and you're choosing to do it. I'm choosing to do it. We can do it together. You know that whole thing. You know, it's it's. I don't know. We want to be trying. Keep people keep wanting us to be transparent, but then they don't want to really hear the whole deal. Well, we can talk about this all day, but unfortunately, that's the end of our ride. I know, right? Thank yeah. you so much, Vaj. That was amazing. It was really good. Our thanks tonight to director. Michelle Marie Gorkison, coordinating producer. That's me, and our Rainbow Minute producers Jed Proctor and Brian Burns. <laughs> That's right. Yes, you can follow us on Facebook and on IMRE, at IMU Radio, where the link to this latest show, that's this show right here, is posted by noon every Tuesday morning. Well, if I wake now. up that early. <laughs> and thank you so much, Wenzel Jones, for doing our oh, social wow. media as well. And remember, you can support this station by using your cell phone to donate $10 by texting KPFK to 20222. And... 
to close out this very special Labor Day show. I hope it's something special. Yes. Close out special. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, one of the hardest working women in show business. My recording. Get a barbecue <laughs> yeah. on a Labor Day. That's what I'm saying. That's right. Yes, indeed. But someone else you're talking someone about. Someone else. I'm, I'm talking about the hardest woman I know working in recording music. Say her name. I love her you name. Her name is Delia Rundblad. And this is <laughs> her right. world premiere song, Speed Racer, which has an amazing video attached to it. You can look it up online, but here is Delia Rundblad with Speed Racer. Good night, everybody. Good night, Good night. everybody. It's worth a make or growing louder in the night. Too hard to tell what's real.